Before we begin today's episode, we would like to thank our sponsor, Swanshaw, the UK's finest purveyor of kitchens and shop fronts alike. Please consider visiting Swanshaw on Instagram. You can find them under at Swanshaw. Now to today's episode. Hello and welcome back to the Therapy Files part two. Well, we think. We're not sure yet. It could even be part one. Of Asylum. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So in this episode, we want to focus less on the past and more on the present mm. and how mental health care and treatment has changed. Mm-hmm. Possibly oh. for the better or for the worse. Oh, we're, not quite, we're not quite sure yet. Oh. Indeed. And I suppose we can only start with the developments in medication mm. and treatments. So the 1950s saw big developments in the medication and treatments that we used to try and manage or resolve mental illness. And so the involvement of health professionals, such as therapists, was sort of beginning to, to take place, you know, where our profession sort of took, mm-hmm. took its stride. And that changed the way that we sort of overall learned about mental health in terms of causes and cures. Uh, medications such as antipsychotics were made available. There are several brands available. We don't recommend any particular ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not here for pharmaceutical companies here, are we, Craig? No, indeed. <laughs> they do a great job, though. Yes, they do. And these can treat a, a variety of mental health conditions, such as schizophrenia, depression and anxiety. And they were good at helping individuals who experienced moderate to severe depression. Interestingly, antidepressants were also first used during the 1950s. And their usage has increased over the decades, with an approximate 61 million being prescribed in 2015. Um, So that is according to... The NHS themselves. I mean, do you think? Do you think that's kind of a? a I'm not, not criticising anybody for taking um, antidepressants because I take them. I take them myself for my bipolar disorder. But Snap. do you think that? Do you think that's? Um, you know, you have bipolar disorder. No, but but if, yeah, I can't think of it, it, do you think that could be a little bit of people handing them out too easily, maybe? Perhaps. Just putting that out there, that's not criticising anybody. I'm just, I just feel like kind of that is a lot. Mm. Sixty-one million. That's a hell of a lot for a, you know for a. For the country. Is that just for the UK? The NHS, usually? Uh, yes. Wow. That's a hell of a lot. I knew there was a lot being given to, to people, but that, that is, that's an incredible amount, isn't it? Yeah. And that, that was particularly part of a 10-year study. Mm-hmm. So that has increased by 100%. Do you reckon that's increased even more now because of the pandemic? Without a doubt. Yeah, yeah I would agree with that. To be honest, without a doubt. So there were several different types of therapies, uh, psychoanalysis particularly, that was begun by... Our dear friend, Freud. <laughs> Yay! One second. I think in our first episode, you were like, thanks for the theories, but don't come again. <laughs> Basically. I mean, yeah, we, we appreciate him as a, you know, I appreciate him as a, uh, yeah. as a figurehead and certainly, you know, he's revolutionary, but uh, yeah, like, you know, when we talked before about kind of somebody being insane, being allowed to be taken over the insane. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of was Freud. Yes, Definitely. Uh, So he developed psychoanalysis that emphasised the need for individuals to identify specific details about their past, particularly their childhoods, which may be the cause of their current mental health status. And Freud argued that once these details had been uncovered, the individual could acknowledge them, resolve them and recover from their mental illness. 
But there is also therapy beyond psychoanalysis. And therapy has been developed greatly over the decades and has become an important part of contemporary treatment for the wider range of mental health conditions. And there are many different examples of uh, therapies, such as person-centred, cognitive behavioural, family therapy, relationship therapy, group therapy, reality, art therapy. Mm -hmm. I think our dear friend Nina in Switzerland uh, is particularly an advocate for art therapy. So, yeah. Yeah, 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 no, certainly. And I think that it shows there's been a massive progression, doesn't it, from the asylum days where mental health was seen as something that was curable into now something where it's actually something that we always have, but we learn to treat it. Sure. You know, I think I think back then it was very much about how do we cure this disease, you know. Um, and particularly if you think about the criminalian saying as well, the representations, people are always seen as deviant who have mental health problems, like they were a problem or, or presented risk to the wider population. Now there seems to be much more of a normalisation of what mental health is, you know. Mm. Particularly in medicine as well, I'll, I'll give it credit. It's still a long way to go, but, you know, we've certainly made strides to stop the stigma, hasn't it? Most definitely. Uh, which asylums have very much helped perpetuate that stigma, you know. A vital aspect in ensuring that individuals' needs and preferences are met are the delivery of care and support in the person-centred way. This is the practice that my I qualified in and what Craig is currently studying. I don't, no, you're intuitive, aren't you? Sorry, intuitive. But heavily leaning with person-centred. Person-centred. Yeah. Like Roger's leaning. <laughs> person-centred care is based on key principles. Individuality, rights, choice, privacy, dignity, respect, independence, multi-agency collaboration. Uh, I just want to point out as well, it's also based on three core values or necessary conditions, which are, well, there's a lot more than three, but the three core ones are empathy, congruence, otherwise known as genuineness, and under unconditional positive regard, also known as acceptance. Contemporary practice, application of the person-centred principles. When all principles are applied, individuals are at the centre of their own care and are enabled to make their fully own fully informed decisions and are able to therefore exercise their rights when they feel it is necessary to do so. There are also treatment and therapies. Less focus is placed on simply medicating an individual. On medicating an individual, other times of treatments and therapies are encouraged to encourage to support the individual in a holistic way. These include counselling, meditation, art therapy. Art therapy, support groups, massage, acupuncture, diet and lifestyle assessment and modifications. Inclusion, in stark contrast to previous method by isolating and excluding individuals with mental health conditions from society to try and kill them, contemporary practice ensures that individuals are as fully included in society as possible. It aims to make them independent, resilient and in control of their own care and support so that they are empowered to live their lives in a meaningful way to enhance their overall well-being. Um, which I think is one of the key things, isn't it, Craig, is actually people with mental health. Of course, there'll be times where people do need treatment and may need it for the rest of their lives in certain cases. But, you know, it's not about locking them up and throwing away the key. No, it's about giving them their freedom back. Yes. In order to live. To the best of their ability, depending yeah. on what said condition is. Mm. Uh, obviously, acceptance, living with mental health conditions, no longer means that somebody will automatically be taken from their family and forced to live in shame as society works towards acceptance of mental illness. Previous practices appear harsher than ever. And I'm just being met by my dear friend next door's cat, Fluffy. Hello, Fluffy. Hello, Fluffy. Are you okay? Yeah. That wasn't me, that was great. But yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And with, you know how the representations of mental health have now changed, doesn't it? Yes, it really is. Uh, but some of the issues that existed per se in the past still exist now. Mm-hmm. The idea 
of patriarchal attitudes of health professionals, the ideas of problems for staff adapting to new practices and accommodations that are not fit for purpose, mm. you know, for individuals who have mental health conditions. Mm. They were all cramped and not in the right place. Sure. And in some cases, the NHS now is struggling to still cope. Yeah, yeah, of course. So the idea of power is a still considered issue in mental health professions mm -hmm. now. Um, a patriarchal attitude is one that exists because somebody who has a form of power believes that they have a right to assert this over other individuals, particularly in terms of men exerting power over women. And the idea of person-centred care, yes, it's important, but regarding mental illnesses, a patriarchal attitude would conflict with the idea of person-centred approaches, which puts individuals at the heart of any discussions and planning. And therefore, a patriarchal attitude has existed in the past, but under development of the person-centred care approach, one might suggest that opinions and decisions of healthcare professionals that still exist would not be taken as lightly. Yeah. And some doctors in the past who have worked there for 60 years, for example, or nurses mm. that have worked in there for 60 years, would be like, this isn't the way no. they did it. No. They might think that doctor knows best is still the main... Yeah, because that's what, you know, particularly when a silence were, were, were around, that was, you you listened and you that was that was the end of it, wasn't yeah. it? You had no kind of patient rights. Yeah. You know. And vulnerability is still seen as a major issue. And unfortunately, this affects the attitudes that still prevail in some healthcare settings today. Individuals with mental health conditions, therefore, are often the most vulnerable mm -hmm. in society. And I'm learning to be okay with the word vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I previously wasn't okay with the word, dear listener. It's getting there. And so this may easily be taken advantage of, whether deliberately or by accident. This has meant that doctors and psychiatrists would perceive individuals as weak and was not able to be approachable and it has impacts on people and attitudes are likely to change with confidence and self-esteem in individuals whose resilience and independence will be negatively impacted and this can further have a negative effect on those with mental health issues mm -hmm. and instead of the health professionals contributing to the individual's re recovery mm -hmm. they can also sometimes Perpetuate it, can't they, Fluffy? Mm -hmm. She's currently sat on the back of the she sofa. She's purring her head off. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's. I think that's the thing, isn't it? A lot of the time, that which is which is very common, is that healthcare professionals sometimes do more damage than they actually do good. Which is a reality that we even to this day we all have to face up to. Is that many people have been damaged by bad counsellors, by bad psychiatrists, by bad GPs, um, and there's still medical malpractice that exists. You know, very sadly and regrettably. But there's also many great people out there as well. Great world. You know. Professionals who avoid avoiding healthcare of any kind for a long time, this can be very difficult to adapt to new practices. This is problems with adapting to new practices. Um, Person-centred care puts the individual in control. Relinquishing this can be difficult for staff who have gotten used to doing things in a certain way for individuals and making decisions on their behalf. Independence. Another example may be that past staff have tried to do things for individuals because it is quicker and more efficient and convenient. 
someone who has received domiciliary care to manage them until health condition in the community should be facilitated to live independently as opposed to codependently. And staff should not come into their home and take over making decisions for individuals and doing things that an individual can do for themselves should be avoided, even if this takes them longer, as this will promote resilience and not codependence. Um, as somebody who is physically disabled, Craig, is that something that's very important to you? Um, you know, if you do, say, for example, say you do go to assisted living, is it very important that you maintain as much independence as you possibly can? Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I I, will, I am okay to accept help on certain sure. things. Absolutely. Which, of course, like I think you've said to me yourself, and, and this is the case with mental illness and physical disability, and, and sorry, emotional disability, is that, you know, it's okay to depend on people for certain things. But, like, I think you've said to me, like, there are things I can do for myself, which I certainly won't be asking for, isn't it? Yeah. You know. Um, also, there's, of course, staff influence. To promote independence, individuals are now encouraged to make their own choices based on what is what it is they want and need. Person-centred care sees the individual as the expert in their own care, which is obviously something that asylum's always neglected. Staff may find it difficult to work with individuals who feel that they are making bad decisions and may try to influence them to change their mind or not to carry out an activity they may not want to do. Um, questions are also important here. Although health, prof- although health professionals should be included in the care, planning and delivery, individuals should always be able to ask them questions about something that they do not agree with. This mm. might be difficult for some health professionals to adjust to because they still see themselves as the expert in the care. But in line with the person-centred practice, the expert title should be passed over to the individual which I completely agree with, Craig. And I think that sure. that's something that asylums did always completely neglect was actually you're not a person, you are a mentally ill patient and you stay here and we do everything for you, rightly and wrongly. Um, I wouldn't say rightly, actually, mostly wrongly. Mm-hmm. Um, and you put up with it and you don't get to have a say, you have no rights in that. And the Care of the Community Act and obviously the Mental Health Act changed all that, didn't it? Um, I did want to read out the references as well. Um, Mark Davis's 2019 book, Asylum Inside the Pauper Lunatic Asylums, that shows a great idea of class and asylums as well, um, social standing. Louise Hyde, 2014, Gender and Class in English Asylums, 1890-1914. Brilliant book, I'd highly recommend that. And obviously we spoke about him before, Irving Goffman. There are two texts of this, 1973 and obviously the second edition, or the third, might be the 300th edition of 2017 asylums essays on the social situation of mental patients so craig final thoughts what do you think about this we sped through that we did speed through it um but i do believe that we were right in looking at asylum separately sure. and looking at contemporary practices more appropriately for going forward because that does show that there's a lot of change that's happened yeah it shows where we've come from and where we are now and i think what it highlights for me is whilst there's still a hell of a long way to go and i don't know if we'll get there in our lifetime mm. there have certainly been barriers shifted as the boundaries have been attacked and, and and change has been made for the better yeah i mean there are still obviously clear issues because as, as you know we've highlighted there Many healthcare professionals do perpetuate and even cause people to have mental health problems, don't they? Yes. Yeah. Sadly. Mm. So, yeah, I think that's it for us this week. Um, dear listener, we really hope you like this. And uh, we'll be back next time with the death penalty. We will keep indeed. our institutions going on forward. <laughs> Excellent. I look forward to that. Come Thank on. you. Thank you, dear listener. Take care now. Bye.